0: Thank you, Vonnie and Joseph family. If you noticed, if you were here last week and now today on the box drum, young Gerard Joseph did a good job preaching last week, didn't he? How many of you are here? Amen? I appreciated that for a young man. He did a great job. We continue our series of The Seasons Change, which is throughout the seasons of one's life how God can use you and bring different things into your life at just the right time to help you get through the difficult phases of life, from being a young person to being an older person to being a parent, dealing with death and moving and loneliness and things such as that. Today, we're going to talk about unity. How unity, being unified with Christ, being unified in your home, being unified in the church, being unified as a country, can make great things happen. And disunity can make nothing happen, or even bad things can happen. Years ago, when I started pastoring in 1990, I was in this conference I was in the Knoxville Church. Anybody ever been to Knoxville? Yes. Miss Krista and Miss Vonnie. You were there too, Vonnie? Huh. Years ago when I was pastoring in Knoxville, we had, as so often the case, you'll have certain people that want to come to church, but they don't have a car or they don't have a ride, and so they will ask the church to assist them in getting a ride, which is sometimes easy and sometimes a challenge. But we had a couple who wanted to attend the church in Knoxville, and so I tried to find four people who lived somewhat close to them who would agree to go get them one week of the month. Four couples, four weeks of the month. Could you pick up someone once a month and take them to church? I thought that wasn't too much to ask, at least that's what I hoped to accomplish. So I called this one man who lived near them, and I asked him if he would be willing to pick them up once a month and bring them to church. And he said something which I recall to this day. He said in a very defiant tone, I don't want anybody to depend on me, and I don't want to depend on anybody else. That's kind of a shocking statement. I appreciated his honesty. Nothing wrong with being honest, especially when the pastor asks you to do something. There's nothing worse than somebody who does something because the pastor asks and they don't really want to do it, and then you get a lot of hostility and those kind of things. So I appreciated his honesty. I don't want anybody to depend on me, and I don't want to depend on anybody else. It's kind of an American statement kind of one of those pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps statements, which I never understood what that meant, to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody else. I could see John Wayne saying something. Any John Wayne fans here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I could see John Wayne saying that as a cowboy especially. I don't need anybody to depend on me, and I don't want to depend on anybody else. Pilgrim. You see, this statement was full of self-reliance and self-dependence and indifference to the needs of other people. It's it's where the American view, being self-reliant, doing it yourself, not needing anything, collides with the view of service to others and sharing God's love with those less fortunate. And you can see that happening in our world today. The American way of self-reliance says, I can do it by myself. To me, God's way seems to be a way of interdependence. It's not a sign of weakness to depend on other people at times. God's way is a way of support. God's way is a way of growing together. God's way is a way of loving one another. That doesn't mean you have to always give people rides or empty your wallet out of money when people ask. A life of service is not the same as being a doormat for other people. A life of service does not mean you always say yes to things that people ask you to do. It means you take care of yourself and you take care of other people. Questions. Preguntas. Isn't it possible to take care of yourself, your family, and at the same time reach out to other people? Isn't it possible to have good, healthy boundaries, and yet give of yourself out of love and concern for the well-being of other people? Isn't it possible to have unity, common goals among a group of people, common bonds during the changing seasons of one's life, to be connected as we journey together? I don't have all the answers, but I do know a good question when I see it. So as we continue our The Seasons Change series, we come to this idea of unity, the value of unity, that as we move throughout the seasons of our lives, things can be smoother, better, deeper, richer if we are united. United with our family, united with our church family, united with our country. But first, it all starts if we are united with Christ, if we have made him the center of our lives. Each one of us, our individual life. Christ on the cross reconciled the world To himself. Reconcile means to take two entities which are at odds, which are fighting, and to bring them together. Christ reconciled God to the world by his own sacrifice on the cross. And he freed us from the bondage of sin and selfishness, so now we can open up our hearts to love other people outside of ourselves and to see service and seek unity with other people. In other words, he opens up our hearts to a different way. Let me show you a little bit of how that works in Ephesians chapter 2. Didn't my young friend Peter do a good job on scripture today? That's actually one of my favorite passages. If you could turn to Ephesians chapter 2, please. John 17 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's the last prayer of Jesus before he's arrested. John chapter 18, Jesus is arrested in verse 1 or 2, somewhere in there. John 17 is his prayer for unity to God on our behalf. I love that chapter. And I like to hear it on the words of a young man who is seeking out his own relationship with God. Somebody say Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 to 22, another great passage. Ephesians itself deserves much study. Verse 13 says But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So it says, in the flesh of Christ He has made us one. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There's a lot of stuff in there, I realize that. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both, those who are far, those who are near, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In other words, when you are reconciled to Christ, you become part of the family of God. And I'm going to write a song, and it's going to go like this. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been something, and I don't know what I'm going to say from there, but so I've got that first line. I've been washed in the blood. I'm going to say that, because I'm from Ohio, so we wash things in the blood. All right, you guys will wake up sooner or later. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I would love to be considered and be reminded that I am a member of the household of God. That I have a, a father, that I have a brother, And then I have the indwelling Holy Spirit built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. See, there's some architecture preaching for you there, Martin. You'll get that one later. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, I'm going to go back over that last verse, because that's very key, and I'm sure some of you fell asleep during that verse, because that was a long passage for me to read, and I know my voice will put you to sleep. So wake them up. Last verse. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place For God, by the Spirit. You and I, together, are being built into a dwelling place for the Spirit. So that's why Paul says earlier that the veil was torn, that the old way has been ripped apart, because in Christ now, we are the temple of the living God. There is no need of bringing sacrifices to a altar because Christ was the sacrifice and that method has been done away with. And so now the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of each believer individually. And when the Holy Spirit enters our lives, He becomes a part of us and He begins this needed process of transformation. We metamorphosis... Your life is like a caterpillar and God wants to make you into a butterfly. So within the caterpillar is everything that God needs to make a butterfly. This word metamorphosis is used in the New Testament and that's why it's used about the process of a butterfly. It's taking one thing and changing it into another. So God has taken Christ, and by that he has taken those who are far and those who are near. He has reconciled them so that they may become a dwelling place for God. In other words, my friends, God himself wants to live inside of you through the Holy Spirit and change you one brick at a time. That's what the Christian life is all about. Being changed by God to be used by God by God so that we are the temple of the living God. So part of being made into the dwelling place is that as the Spirit changes us, you give Him permission to change you. You have to say yes to the changing work of God. As as painful as it might be, you allow Him to work in ways that might even be uncomfortable for you. Or go against what you and your fleshly nature might even want for yourself. You are willing to let God change you into something that He wants. You sense Him calling you to be something else. Something better. A better version of yourself. And you might, It might be something as talking to someone that you don't know or that you don't really want to talk to. And you might feel God saying... Go talk to that person. And you say, God, I don't want to talk to that person. No, I'd like you to go talk to that person. So even to go to talk to someone, if you sense God calling you, if you didn't want to do it, that's what I'm talking about. That's not responding to your fleshly needs, but it's giving in to the call of God to be something that God can use for his benefit. And ultimately, for yours as well. So in this way, that you submit yourself to God who wants to change you, to use you for his own glory. In this way, this process, the Christian walk is totally out of step with the ways of the Western world. Because the ways of the Western world are like my friend I told you from Knoxville, very John Wayne-ish. I don't want anybody to depend on me and I don't want to depend on anybody. You see, that's the way of the Western world. The way of Christ is come together, do things together, be unified, be bonded together by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. God creates us for fellowship, and the world is rather fragmented, if you think about it. So rather than our world be fragmented, we become a dwelling place for the Spirit, whereas most of us, if left alone, we will dwell totally in the ways of the world because it's much easier. That's what everybody else seems to be doing. It's easier. Everybody else is doing it. And why not? But Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross And follow me. And in our culture, it is grab for all you can get before somebody else gets it because you only go around once. So grab for all the gusto you can get. And that was Michelob or Budweiser or somebody said that grab for the gusto. Anybody? You guys with me today? (coughs) I worked all week on that John Wayne thing for you guys. This is the thanks I get. No, no, not now. You've gone too far too soon. You see, there's nothing... I mean, I, I don't mean to say that the world is evil because I don't think the world is evil. I think the world has evil within it. And then the world has good within it. And God gave you a brain to use to make these choices. And so as you allow God's spirit in, you say, God... Fill me with you. Let me see through your eyes. Let me have hands that do your bidding. Take my feet where you want me to go. Let me be the man or the woman that you want me to be. Let me serve as you would have me serve. Let me not do what I want to do per se, but let me be someone that you can use. Let me be a dwelling place for the Spirit of God to bring glory and honor to your name. That's what I want. For me, that's what I want for you as people. That's what I want for us as a church congregation. You see, our American culture is involved in a relentless pursuit of a certain lifestyle. And in that lifestyle, it's full of leisure and comfort and consumption. People want the right house and the right car and other material things. They want the good things in life, and I certainly can understand that because I want those things too. Back in the 60s, kids, there was a group called The Monkeys, and they had a song called Pleasant Valley Sunday. And one of the lines from that song said, it's another Pleasant Valley Sunday here in status symbol land. Mothers complain about how hard life is, and the kids just don't understand. So we want a bigger car and a bigger house. And then the moment you get that bigger car and a bigger house and then you get that first payment, you go, what did I do? This car payment's $800 a month. And then you pay it off and then you go, now i got to get a bigger car, you see, and a bigger house. Maybe that's why we all have an obesity problem in America, because bigger is better. And so we create these, these things called Enclaves not a biblical word that I know of, but in this enclave, there's comfort and there's safety and there's luxury. You see, an enclave comes from an an old French word, I believe, which means to enclose or to seal off something from other things. So an enclave is a distinct, enclosed, territorial, cultural, or social Unit The enclave has no vision or purpose to benefit those on the outside of the enclave, but wants to benefit, benefit only those on the inside of the enclave. I always wanted to live in a place that had uh, a security thing, you know, where you can't get in without... I always felt like that was another step in richness. We've never had that. But we have some friends in Orlando, and they're, they're kind of wealthy and when you pull up to their neighborhood, they got a guy at a booth. And you can't even get in until you show the guy your ID. And then he calls and he says, uh, yeah, I got uh, the Womacks here. They'd like to come see you. Okay, let him in. I mean, I think that is so cool. <laughs> I want to be so rich that I have a guy sitting outside my front door who you can't get in until you show him your ID. Not even for the whole neighborhood, just for my house. And then you can drive by. He's made it. He's got his own personal enclave. Because, see, then I'm secluded. And nobody gets into my little enclave unless I let them in, because all I care about is what's in the enclave. You look at the book of Acts, chapter 2, very famous passage. It says, this is the the church, after Christ has gone back, after the Spirit has come. It says, all the believers were together, and they had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, And because of this, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So notice this, as the Spirit came into this new church, walls were broken down, walls between God and the believers, walls between each other. Because the Christian walk is not a long, solitary walk of you walking by yourself The church is not an enclave for security and comfort. The church is not a place for you to hide out until Jesus comes again. I'm sorry if you think that's true, but it's not. The church is more of a hospital for sinners than a museum for the saved. Nobody should be collecting dust as they sit here. The church is a place where it is a long walk together. Everyone is aimed in the same direction and they're walking together. That doesn't mean we're walking with one mind where everybody believes the exact same thing and nobody argues and nobody fights. It means we're just united in Christ. We're individuals united together. We're not the same person. We're different people with different ways of looking at it, but together we walk because we have something in common that's greater than any of our individual thoughts or needs. We put our own self aside for the greater good of serving Christ. God has created us for unity, and he is jealous, using the real definition of the word jealous, meaning protective, for us to reach unity, because human beings were created in the image of God, and it is possible for us to know oneness as God Himself in three persons knows oneness. It is possible for us to have community. Jesus prayed in John 17 that all believers might be one just as He and the Father are one. And then He went on so far as to die that He might restore that unity, that He might break down that wall of division, and He might create one as we grow. As you open up your heart to the Spirit and the Spirit comes in and changes you, you find yourself being one with the Spirit. And as you are one with the Spirit, you become one with all other believers in the faith. That's the essence of the Christian message. One mark of a healthy, growing, living, vibrant church is unity. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, worshiping together in unity of the Spirit. So you have individual people saved by their relationship with Christ, united by the Spirit, coming together to form a church community, And then reaching out to a world who is dying. That's the purpose of the church. It's not a place to come in and enclave together and say, I don't like these pews. They're not comfortable enough. And I don't like the music that we're singing because it's not my style. And I don't like this because of that. And I don't like this because of that. We are not doing any of this for you. This is for God. Everything that is done is worship for God. God. So if you don't like the music, I'm sorry. If you don't like my preaching, I'm sorry. If you don't like the cute little boy that read today, hey, come on, who doesn't like the cute little boy? I'm going to draw the line there. Everybody had to like the cute little boy. If you don't like our Sabbath schools, volunteer to teach. If you don't like the materials we're using, volunteer to pay for something. If you think the sound guys are bad, volunteer to work back there. I'd like to see a nice fist fight. Nobody goes back to the soundboard and just takes over. <clears throat> if you think the radio people aren't doing a good job, volunteer to help out. This isn't an entertainment place for you, friends. I know. And I say that with love, because it's so easy to think it's all about you. You know what I do when I get home sometimes? i got a TV remote, and I sit there. I'm the fastest remote changer there is. pew, <coughs> 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 You know what I'm doing? I'm watching whatever I want. And you know why? Because I pay for the cable and I got the remote. So it's my turn and I'm paying for it. I'm watching HGTV. I'm watching ABC. I'm watching The Bachelorette. Who's who's Hannah going to pick? I'm watching the news because it's me. I'm watching whatever I want because I'm sitting on a couch and I'm watching TV. But this isn't you sitting on a couch watching TV. This is church where we come together to worship, you see. So I say that out of love. The greatest void that the church can fill to the world It's not to have fancy lighting, it's not to have the nicest pews, it's not to have three convenient services, it's not to have a coffee pot out in the lobby with fresh baked muffins, it's not to have great preaching, it's not to have wonderful lighting, it's not to have the best Vesper service, it's not to have chairs that lean back or a popcorn machine offering popcorn or an IMAX. The greatest thing that the church can offer the world is this idea that by the Spirit we are united together and we are changed and we are made to go out in the world and serve. It exists in real and authentic ways, the church. So, blessed be the tie that binds. I'm going to write a song called that, too. I'm working on that one. You see, we move throughout the seasons of our life stronger. (coughs) Excuse me, I got a tickle today. We move throughout the seasons of life stronger and better prepared when we move throughout them together. Think of how much better your life would be if in every situation of your life you had somebody there by your side if you needed them. Somebody that truly cared. In your darkest, deepest moments, you had somebody there who truly loved you and truly understood and truly cared. Now, that's being united to Christ for yourself. It's a wonderful thing to be united in the home. And as I was thinking about this in relation to you and in relation to me and in relation to people that I know and been doing you know pastoring a long time and not just you but all of us on a personal note I think of unity in the home and I know how hard it is to achieve that I've seen so many times that it's hard enough speaking of marriages let's say it's hard enough in the in the world to find a mate that you agree with and then when you add in Christianity it even becomes harder And then when you add in Seventh-day Adventist Christianity, it even becomes a little bit harder because Seventh-day Adventists have different steps than other people, different day of worship, maybe different habits or different ways that you keep Sabbath or whatever. So I know it's hard to find unity. And if you have that, praise the Lord and hang on to that person very tightly because not everybody has that. I, I know what some of you have gone through because you have told me, and I've seen it in other people too, you're not united with your spouse, either in a general sense or not on your faith. And that's always difficult. You come to church alone, or they only come some of the time, or you argue about it. Uh, your children don't seem to care. You might have raised your children in the church, and now they're gone. Or they don't come to church, or they won't pray with you, or you're estranged from your children, your siblings, your parents. On You've carried on for years going by it alone, you've been doing it all by yourself. And you know what, I don't have any answers for you. I'm just telling you my heart goes out to you because I know how hard that is. You know, we have two older children and <coughs> we paid for them to go to some of the Adventist schools. I'd probably be a millionaire with my own private security guard at my front door right now if I hadn't paid for 27 years of Adventist schooling. And they're both fine men, and they're both sort of like on the verge of the church. Sometimes they're in, sometimes they're out, and, we, and our heart goes out to them. Oh, please make good decisions. Please do the right thing. Please, what are you doing? Oh, no, please don't do that. Okay, he's doing the right thing. Wait, what are you doing? You know, your children might get older, but they never stop being your children, right? And it breaks your heart sometimes, the decisions your children make. Am I alone on this? Thank you. And so you just pray for your children, and you pray for your spouse, and you pray for your parents if you still have them, and you pray for your siblings. And <coughs> So anytime I see a family in the church that you got mom and dad and the kids or grandkids, and when I see them in church together, if that's you, praise the Lord that that's you. Because not everybody has that. I can remember when we were at Kettering, there'd be mom and dad and brothers and sisters and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles like every week and I'm like oh my goodness you guys are so lucky you all go to church together you all eat together you all, you've experienced the same cottage cheese loaf with, with barbecue sauce on top for years that's a good Sabbath lunch you sing together you watch your grandchildren grow I can tell you that unity in the home is a precious precious gift and if you have it treasure it Water it, nurture it, protect it. My family, the family I was raised in, we weren't. <coughs> excuse me, we weren't religious. My mother was Jewish, but she never went to temple. Um, my dad was nothing. My parents divorced, and so on. We we had no praying together. You know, the food was put on the table. We all just sat down and ate. When it was done, we all just got up and walked away. There was no family discussions. There was no Friday night. How was your week? Things. There was nothing. We, I guess we knew we loved one another. It wasn't bad. But I look back and I thought, wow, it could have been so much more. And that's what we decided when we had children, not to make it average, but to make it so much more, to have it be something where people enjoyed it. And we formed memories, not based on things, but on re- memories of people being together. My mom, I look back, you know, I was a, my mom died in 2003. So I had been, pre, I had been a pastor for 13 years. She heard me preach one time. In those 13 years, she came to church one time. And I wanted to go, Mom, would it kill you to come to church sometime to hear your son? And the one time she came, she said, oh, I saw your name in the program. I wanted to go, Mom, it's not a program. Learn the lingo. She goes, oh, I liked your talk so much. Mom, it wasn't a talk. I was just glad she was there, you see. So I know what it's like to have an ununified home. And I can tell you, a unified home is much better than an ununified home. So if you have a unified home, praise the Lord, God bless you. If there's anything I can do to help you in your home, you let me know. I'm not the expert, but I'll help you, I'll listen to you, I won't judge you. I'll try and get you moving in the, the right direction. So this way of allowing the Spirit in and asking Him to change us so that we can serve others doesn't always go with the way we might want it ourselves with our own nature. But it's not God's priority to give me what I want and to make me comfortable. He's had to teach me that it's not about what I want, it's about what He wants. So God isn't out to pat you on the back and tell you how great you are and to make you comfortable. God is actually out to break you. Because it is only as He breaks you and molds you and fills you that He can fill you with the Holy Spirit and not with your own selfish human ways. So when you pick up your cross and follow Christ, it is not on the way to a cozy enclave of church where you sit down and make yourself comfortable. The call of Christ is to pick up your cross and follow Him. And strangely enough, that leads us to peace and unity an eternal life. God seeks to make us one, one in spirit, one in faith, one in direction, and as we allow the spirit to break us and mold us and to make us into the men and women he wants us to be, we seek heavenly unity among ourselves. Differences are settled among people, one to one, face to face, not behind the back, gossiping stops, backbiting ends. strong bonds of fellowship should be forged and we view the future together under a common God-given vision. We worship together. We seek and give sacrificially together. We eat together. We seek to enlarge our family and enlarge our territory together. Now, if you notice in your bulletin, you have this insert. (coughs) Could you pull this out? For favor. My friend Fern made this. This is a famous passage, well-known passage. Famous probably isn't the right word. Well-known passage from 1 Corinthians 13, and it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Well-known passage. The word love in there is the word agape love, which is a sacrificial giving love. It's a unifying love. Because if you love like this, which is the love that Christ loves, then you will unite yourself with a group of people who believes the same. So you could substitute the name of Jesus in there. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or both boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. But here's why we left the name blank. I want you to think about, could you put your name in there? So could I say, Joseph is patient and kind. Joseph does not envy or boast. Joseph is not arrogant or rude. Joseph does not insist on his own way. Joseph is not irritable or resentful. Joseph does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Joseph bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So I left this for you. You can fill it out. You can hang it on your refrigerator. You can throw it in the trash. It's up to you. But this is a way for you to reflect on, can you let the Spirit of God in you to change you to be like Christ, this agape love of Christ, so that you can then be Unified with him. See, here's the dichotomy. Here's the strangeness of the gospel. As the family grows, as unity increases, rather than getting comfortable in creating an enclave, we intentionally seek those out on the outside of the family. We try and get bigger. Whenever anybody says to me, well, I like a nice small little church... I always want to say, well, then you don't understand the gospel because the gospel of Christ is not to stay a small little church. The gospel of Christ is to bring people in. Now, I guess you could keep multiplying churches and each one could be 50 people. I get that. They're saying they like a small church family. But the call is to go out and bring in, go and preach the gospel Jesus said. He didn't say settle back, check the hymnal, tell the pastor, you know, this and that go into the world and preach the gospel making disciples of all people because as one person says we are just i am just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the living bread so the call is to go out and to spread the get, the good news we evangelize together we share good news together, we celebrate together, we love together, we serve together, we do ministry together. This must be intentional, my friends. It won't happen on its own because we will settle back into doing what we like and wanting the things that we want unless we intentionally say, God, help me to be the person that you want me to be, in this church, because the Holy Spirit brings unity. Jesus prayed, make them one, God, as you and I are one. This is not a suggestion that he said. He said, Father, make them one. He did not say, please, is it okay? This is a command. And even though the Seventh-day Adventist church might have a good understanding of truth, I believe we do, if it doesn't have a bond of unity and a sense of love in the pews now... In this present day, I don't think anybody's going to stick around to see how well we measure up in the last days. Nobody cares about the last days if they're not having a spirit-filled experience in the present day. Hello, is this thing on? It's getting a little quiet out there. Don't make me do my John Wayne thing again. Nobody cares about the present day experience if there is not the love of God there They don't care about the last days if you're not there in the present days. If you didn't help me and protect me and love me now, why would you change later to take care of me later? You see, there are two ways of being united. One is being frozen together, and one is being melted together. And what we need is to be united in brotherly love, and then they may expect to have Holy Spirit power. Without the Holy Spirit... We are just a social club, or we are just a country club, or we are just an enclave. But with the Spirit, we are a life-changing, life-sharing organism that reaches out in Jesus' name to change the world for good. So as we allow the Spirit to unify us, as we move through all the seasons of life that will happen in a church, birth, growth, sadness, death movement, change, as we go through all of those seasons of life, the Holy Spirit brings unity to make those experiences better, more tolerable, not so sad, not so difficult. We walk through together united because as the country says, I believe, united we stand and divided we fall. United we should stand in the Spirit of God, that's my prayer for us, that we would be united by the Holy Spirit in service to Him. That's a great song to end with because that's exactly what I was trying to say, that we would say to God, to Christ, live out thy life within me, and may you be the answer to all of our questions. No matter what the the deeper questions are of life, Christ has the answer, and Christ is the answer. So my prayer for you is that you will submit your lives to him, that every day you'll draw closer, that you will pray more and speak less, that you will count to ten before you react in a harsh manner, that you will love more and uh, hate less, that you will give more and hold back less, that your hands will be open to serve, and that you would be blessing to those around you. As you wake up each day, say, how can I be a blessing to those in my life today? What? can I do, Lord, on your behalf to serve your children in my sphere of influence? God bless you. Today and this week, let us pray. Our kind Father, we thank you for Jesus who gave his life and reconciled those who are far and near with you, God, by shedding his blood. And you prayed, Lord, make them one as you and I are one. So, Father, I would pray for that unity today. As we go through the ups and downs of life, we would be united with the Spirit and that we will make it through all things because we can do all things through Christ and through the indwelling Holy Spirit. So we thank you for that promise. May we stand on that promise and may you live out your life within us, I pray. Amen. Amen.